When I was a young man, uh, probably in college, maybe around 20 years old, I went to a carnival and decided to play one of those games. And this one was a dice rolling game where a guy would, the guy would roll six or eight dice and roll and add them up. And if you reached 100, you would win one of these huge, you know, stuffed animals that nobody ever wins. But you could roll as many times as you wanted, and the total was cumulative, so you can add to your previous roll. And when you reached 100, you would get the prize. Well, the catch was each roll of the dice cost more money. So the price went up, and so you'd pay like $1 for the first roll, and each time you bought a roll, the cost went up. And I can't remember how much it was, but anyway, the first roll, I got a 50. So I was halfway to 100, and I had never seen, uh, and had never won one of these big things, so I thought, this is my chance. And uh, I should also say that the guy rolled the dice and he counted them, and he counted really, really fast, so I couldn't see how accurate he was. Second roll was two or three dollars, and then I got 25 more on that roll, so now I'm up to 75, three quarters away there. And again, the prize is huge, and I never won one. I thought, even if I spend 10 or 12 dollars, it'll be worth it. And to make a long, sad story shorter, I got up to 90 something, 93 or 94, and I was out 50 dollars. And back then, that was a week's pay. And I had no cash left, so I was really upset. And I walked away, and he shouted as I left, you can go borrow some money and come back and, and keep playing. And I know I would not have won that big stuffed animal, no matter how much money I had put into that game, unless I got up to $300 or something. It was rigged, and I was a moron. And I listened to a moron. So I did a little research on other carny games, the ring toss game where you try to toss a ring onto uh, pop bottles or whatever. Well, researchers stood six feet away from 100 bottles and tossed 7,000 rings and recorded seven, 12 wins out of 7,000. That's one about of every 583. And then the game where you shoot out the star with a pellet gun, you know, the star on a piece of paper, red or black star. One carny said she had never had one winner in 365,000 plays over five and a half years. I don't play those games unless my grandkids want to waste some money, then I'll, I'll do that. But you won't win. And then there's the lottery. Most of us know there's a greater chance we'll get kicked in the head and killed by a mule than winning the lottery, and yet we still play it. So when our government encourages us to buy lottery tickets, I won't say it, but they are. We're in chapter 14 today, and we're in this series, Six Ways to Wreck Your Life. If you want to wreck your life, listen to morons. Today we have two kings that listen to morons, and we're in the part of the Bible now, and I don't know about you, but when we get to this part of the story, it starts getting a little murkier, a little more confusing. Up to Solomon, I can follow Genesis up to Solomon pretty well. So I want to show a three-minute video review of what we've covered so far in the story. In the beginning, God created the universe and a planet called Earth. Humans were formed in God's image to continue God's work. But soon, humans decided we want to live our way, not God's. Selfishness and violence filled the world. So God started over with just one family. And God made a covenant with a man named Abraham. The land around you is now yours. Your family will be my blessing to the entire world. In just a few generations, they grew into a large nation named Israel. The Egyptians became fearful and forced the Israelites to be their slaves. Through a humble leader named Moses, God led the Israelites in a great exodus back toward their promised land. Along the journey, God gave laws and commands to help the Israelites follow God's ways. Finally, 
After 40 years of struggle and complaining in the desert, the Israelites arrived back home in the Promised Land. In victory, the people worshipped God, but soon after, they turned from God and lived their own rebellious ways. This became a pattern from generation to generation. Israel's greatest judge was Samuel. He followed God's ways and spoke for God as a prophet. He told Israel that God was the only king they ever needed. But they desired to be like the corrupt nations surrounding them and insisted, we want a human king who we can see to rule over us just like the other nations. So Samuel found a man named Saul to be Israel's first king. His reign began well, but before long, Saul stopped following God's ways and made many bad decisions. So Samuel told Saul, because you have turned your back on God, God has rejected you as a king. Samuel's search for the next king led to a courageous young shepherd boy named David. When David grew up to be king, God blessed him and the Israelites greatly. But David was not perfect. He had an affair with a married woman and committed a murder to cover it up. But deep inside, David always loved God and would return to living in God's ways. Known as the poet warrior, he wrote music to God called Psalms, heartfelt expressions of prayer, struggle, and thankfulness. After many years as king, David gave the throne to his son Solomon. God also told David, one day, one of your descendants will rule with a kingdom that will never end. Okay, uh, today we're in chapter 14. We pick up with Solomon's son, Rehoboam. Jeroboam and Rehoboam, they sound like brothers, like the Boam brothers, but uh, they are not. Rehoboam, uh, Solomon's son, I was going to thought that he would be the king overall, but Jeroboam was actually God's choice to rule. So Solomon tries to kill Jeroboam so that his son Rehoboam will have a clear path to the throne, and Jeroboam flees to Egypt. After Solomon dies, Rehoboam, his son, is made the king over Judah. That's David's tribe. They automatically accept him as the king, but the other tribes aren't so sure. And Jeroboam comes back with these other tribes, and we're going to pick it up on page 193. It's 1 Kings 12.4, if you have your Bibles. Rehoboam went to Shechem, for all Israel had gone there to make him king. When Jeroboam, son of Nebat, heard this, he was still in Egypt where he'd fled from King Solomon, he returned from Egypt. So they sent for Jeroboam, and he, the whole assembly of Israel, went to Rehoboam and said to him, Your father, Solomon, put a heavy yoke on us, but now lighten the harsh labor and the heavy yoke he put on us, and we will serve you. Rehoboam answered, Go away for three days and come back to me. So the people went away. Then King Rehoboam consulted the elders who had served his father Solomon during his lifetime. How would you advise me to answer these people, he asked. They replied, If today you'll be a servant to these people and serve them and give them a favorable answer, they will always be your servants. But Rehoboam rejected the advice the elders gave him and consulted the young men who had grown up with him and were serving him. He asked them, What is your advice? How should we answer these people who say to me, Lighten the yoke your father put on us? The young men who had grown up with him replied, These people have said to you, Your father put a heavy yoke on us, but make our light yoke lighter. Now tell them, My little finger is thicker than your father's waist. My father laid on you a heavy yoke. I will make it even heavier. My father scourged you with whips. I will scourge you with scorpions. Three days later, Jeroboam and all the people returned to Rehoboam as the king had said, Come back to me in three days. The king answered the people harshly. Rejecting the advice given him by the elders, he followed the advice of the young men and said, My father made your yoke heavy. I will make it even heavier. 
My father scourged you with whips, I will scourge you with scorpions. So the king did not listen to the people. Notice Rehoboam does seek advice. That's the wise thing to do. He first consults the elders and then the young men. There's no problem here. Get advice from the different generations. But did you notice any differences in the text between the elders and the young men? Two things I see here. First of all, the elders served his father Solomon. The young men served Rehoboam and grew up with him. The elders were familiar with Solomon's wisdom. Apparently it had rubbed off on them. And they tell Rehoboam, be a servant to these people and they'll serve you. It's a wise thing to do. The second difference is the pronouns that Rehoboam uses. To the elders, he says, you. To the young men, he says, we. He's part of them. So he goes with his peers and not his parents' generation. What kind of environment have these younger men been raised in? They have no memory other than opulence, luxury, and wealth. They've never known anything but extravagant privilege and heavy sense of their own entitlement. And they stand to lose some of that if they back off on the taxation. And this incident reminds me so much of our day. Older people have wisdom because they remember the hard times. Older people, especially the really older people, they know that wealth is not guaranteed, it's not a right. They also know that leadership is about serving and not oppressing. They also know that heavy taxation and overspending will eventually catch up with you. But Rehoboam has a prejudice toward youth, which is nothing new. Every generation thinks that they know better than the previous one. We might call it evolutionary snobbery. We know better than the last generation. We're progressive. And who doesn't want to be progressive? Now, I'm getting older. In fact, someone told me that when I turn my next birthday, I am no longer going to be middle age. I will be a senior. That is sad. But anyway, I'm getting older, but I'm not as old as some of you. You've heard the phrase, older than dirt. Some of you discovered dirt. Anyway, evolutionary snobbery says, don't listen to the old fogies. What do they know? They can't keep up with the latest technology. They don't even know how to use an MP3, and they don't even know what an MP3 is. What is it anyway? Um, I'm going to do something different. I I want one of you young people, not not by young as anyone under 21, okay? Text me right now. Tell me what an MP3 is. And there's my number. Got my number on the... I want you to text me right now. I got my phone with me, which I usually don't. And if you get it to me, I'll give you a dollar. Okay, first one to get it to me. Tell me what an MP3 is. Our youth minister, Jared, wants me to get on Twitter now. And he's got good motives. I think he thinks that'll make me a better minister or something. But I've always thought being a twit was a bad thing, so I'm not going there either. (laughs) Another phrase we hear today is very popular. I hope somebody's texting me what an MP3 is, by the way. Another phrase we hear is the right side of history. Yeah, you hear that on the, you know, the oh, oh, what do you know? What do you know? Two messages. First one, you're going to get it. Let's see here. How do you work this thing? Oh, good grief. No one uses an MP3 anymore. I'm not sure if I should read this other one to you. Monty Python the third. Well, I saved a dollar, so, okay. (laughs) I think I'm going to turn this off right after I read this one. This will be the last text, okay. Oh, good, give me. Magic Pigeons 3. One more. It is a file type, usually for music. Is that right? See me afterwards, TJ. 
Get a buck. Thank you, thank you. Okay, all right. Now, what's interesting about all this progressive and, and disrespect for the older generation, it's my generation that's really famous for making that, for rejecting the older generation. In my generation, if you're a baby boomer, you remember, don't trust anyone over the age of 30. <laughs> Can you believe that? There is a great deal of disrespect for experience and age by us boomers, my generation. We were a bunch of Rehoboams. And look where we're at today. When Rehoboam starts out, he listens to both generations, older and young. That's good. We need the vision and vitality of youth to be balanced with the wisdom and experience of age. That's the ideal. And when I look at churches and think back to the churches I've served, the staff, elders, and teachers, and deacons, uh, the best... I knew this was a mistake. Let me, no, let me, let me deaden this. Okay, my phone is dead. Um, the best groups of leaders I've worked with, I've noticed, were where we had a good mixture of the generations. There was one staff I had where we were all boomers, and it was the least effective staff we had. Now, I love having Jared. He's young. Logan now is even younger. In fact, their two ages combined don't equal my age. Jared is 14 and Logan is 12. Um, <laughs> the old man is Rob, I mean, besides me. And then we have the eternally young Teresa. Uh, just a good variety there. We have younger elders and older elders, and we need them all. So Rehoboam rejects the elders' advice, goes with these young men, and he mocks the people's request, gives them a three-part response. First of all, verse 10, my little finger. Now, <laughs> if you're under 16, don't listen. The NIV is being nice here, making this family friendly. Literally in Hebrew, he says, my little one is thicker than my father's loins. Now, you know what loins are. It's probably not his finger he's talking about, if you get my drift. They're young men. They're crude, okay? So they're being crassly disrespectful of the people. Second response, my father laid on a heavy yoke. I'll make it heavier. Third, he scourged you with whips. I'll scourge you with scorpions. Rehoboam chooses machoism over servanthood. He may have inherited his father's money, but he did not inherit his father's wisdom, nor did his friends. So he listens to morons. Now, definition of moron, I looked in the dictionary. It's what we would expect, notably stupid or lacking good judgment. Now, the oldest joke I remember, and you're not going to like it, so get ready to groan. But I heard this joke when I was in grade school. It's the oldest joke I remember. This is like 55 years old. How did the moron get his name? He decided to paint himself and kept putting moron and moron and moron. <laughs> Let's go on. First King... <laughs> 1 Kings 12, page 194 at the bottom. When all Israel saw that the king refused to listen to them, they answered the king, What share do we have in David? What part in Jesse's son? To your tents, Israel. Look after your own house, David. So the Israelites went home, but as for the Israelites who were living in the towns of Judah, Rehoboam still ruled over them. So now we have a divided country because the king listened to the wrong people. And we have a split between north and south, and we're going to have a map up here to show you. The northern kingdom, that's where Jeroboam eventually rules, and down here is where Rehoboam, you can see Jerusalem is in the southern kingdom, okay? We have two kings, the king God anointed and the king man appointed. And we know that anything with two heads is what? A freak. And this arrangement is not advantageous for anyone. Morons cause division and disunity. Division is a good way to describe our culture today, the political tension, the conflict in the workplace and in homes, even splits in churches. And what strikes me about this chapter is how quickly it happens. 
Under David and Solomon, it's the glory years. They're wealthy. They're powerful, the most powerful nation in the world. But now in the next generation, there's chaos, continual warfare between north and south. And all this chapter is about division. Morons create problems. They do in the church too. It's very clear how Jesus wants us to handle conflict or disagreement in the church, which, by the way, disagreement and conflict is not always bad. In fact, it can be healthy. But let's say the person A is unhappy with person B. Healthy communication and adherence to the Bible would tell A to go and talk directly to B about the problem in grace and love. Matthew 18 says that. Instead, what often happens, A avoids B and goes to another church. Right? Happens all the time. Or A avoids B and goes to a third person, C. It's called triangling. A has a problem with B, but goes and talks to C. And it happens all the time. Why? Because triangling feels good. And it's easier. Person A feels good because he's talked to someone about it. Person C feels good because someone came and confided a juicy, indignant tale to them. So two-thirds of the people involved in triangling get immediate emotional payoffs. Person A feels better. Person C likes it. But they're really morons. It's harder to do it the biblical way. And it's easier to do the triangling. Here's what C should do. C should say to A, well, that's really too bad. Let's go and talk to B right now so you two can work this out. Now, this church, Mount Pulaski, we have good unity right now. About as good a unity as I think we could hope for. But unity is one thing we have to continually be diligent about. Under Solomon, Israel was on top of the world, and in the next generation, they go through a divide that will never be mended. Because... One king listened to morons. Who are you listening to? It makes all the difference in the world. Rehoboam wasn't the only guy listening to morons. Jeroboam was God's choice to be the king. He had an opportunity. uh, But when he gets control of the northern kingdom, look what he does. Jeroboam thought to himself, this page 196, verse 26. The kingdom will now likely revert to the house of David if these people go to offer sacrifices in the temple of the Lord in Jerusalem. They will again give their allegiance to their Lord, Rehoboam, king of Judah. They will kill me and return to King Rehoboam. After seeking advice, the king made two golden calves. He said to the people, It is too much for you to go up to Jerusalem. Here are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. One he set up in Bethel and the other in Dan. And this thing became a sin. The people came to worship the one at Bethel and went as far as Dan to worship the other. First of all, Jeroboam thought to himself. One way to listen to morons is to listen to your inner moron. Okay, give bad advice to yourself. Jeroboam was afraid that if the northern kingdom continued to worship in Jerusalem, which was in the south, they may go back to serving Rehoboam. So he sets up these worship centers in the country, one in Bethel and one in Dan, clearly going against God's commands. See, we all have this inner voice. And sometimes it's not very wise. Eat another piece of cake. Spend more money. It's all about you. Be a jerk, you know. And then Jeroboam, after listening to his inner moron, seeks out advice and says after seeking advice, he builds these two golden calves. So Jeroboam listens to two morons, the one in his head and those around him. Here's another thing about morons. They go their own way. They think they know best. They think they know better than God. I'll do it my way. You know, Jeroboam thought this out. You know, he's thinking it, and you know, some of it makes sense, political sense, you know. But instead of following God's direction, he's going to do it his way. You ever do that? 
I think we've probably all done it. So going completely against what God wants for your life, disobeying God. You know what God wants for you, but you're going to do it anyway. So God says to Jeroboam, I tore the kingdom away from the house of David and gave it to you, but you've not been like my servant David who kept my commands and followed me with all his heart, doing only what was right in my eyes. You've done more evil than all who lived before you, you moron. You've made for yourself God's idols made of metal. You've aroused my anger and turned your back on me. Because of this, I'm going to bring disaster on the house of Jeroboam. And if you read the rest of the chapter, he does. God will not be mocked. If you're going to listen to morons and be one, there will be some consequences. Jeroboam's son dies. His whole household is destroyed. And we can say, well, God's so judgmental. Yeah, he is. And I'm glad he is. See, this is part of being a loving God. Sometimes love gets angry and love gets jealous and sometimes love allows consequences because God sees what they're doing to themselves and rejecting his directions. I'm going to play a song. I want you to hear it. I call this the Moron Theme Song. I want you to sing. Ready? Sing it. Okay, good enough. Who's the artist? Frank Sinatra. Okay, the song is I Did It My Way. Anyone know the year? The year? That's what I thought. It's 1969, believe it or not. That's, uh, that's my generation. Okay? Beautiful song. Heresy comes in nicely wrapped packages. Beautiful song. Looks good, sounds good, but it's wrong. Everyone in the Bible who did it their way screwed up. Frank Sinatra sang that song as he was older, I think the theme for his life, and he did it his way, but when I die, I want my song to be, I did it God's way. There was one king who did do it God's way in this chapter, 1 Kings 15, 11, page 200, said, Asa did what was right in the eyes of the Lord as his father David had done. Asa did it God's way. Solomon, Rehoboam, Jeroboam, they all had their chances to be blessed by God, to be good kings, but they decided to do their way, and their way was disastrous. Asa does it God's way. Which way are you going to go? Whose directions are you going to follow? So how can we avoid listening to morons? Let me quickly give you five ways here. First of all, read the right things. Read wise books. When I get flat in my faith or I get down or discouraged, I have found that reading good stuff and putting good stuff into my brain is one of the healthiest and wisest things to do. Second, listen to the right people. Listen to recordings of godly men or women. Hang around the right people. Talk to godly people who know you and your situation. And do not seek advice from someone who's messing up their own life. Man, I see this all the time. I see someone over there who's failing in every part of their life. Well, go and ask him or her. No, don't listen to morons. Listen to wise people, someone who's doing it right. And avoid too much TV. And probably should throw in internet here too. If you watch television six hours a day or you're on Facebook six hours a day, 
more than likely you're going to hear some moronic stuff. Um, not always, but just about every talk show on television are not people you want to listen to or people you want to emulate. Back in the 80s, there was a book called Amusing Ourselves to Death, uh, to Death, and it showed how television as a medium, no matter what the content, will make you stupid. I mean, you can watch religious TV. You can watch that all day, but it'll still make you a zombie. So avoid too much of that. Read the Bible, obviously. Read the story. Good counsel begins with knowing God's word. Fill yourself with the wisdom. Read the Proverbs. There's so much wisdom there. I, partic- I like Saul, Paul's letters to, uh, to the churches. You know, spend time daily in the word and talking to God. It's just so helpful to make you wiser. And then number five, talk to older people. They do have experience. In Titus 2, the older women are told to teach the younger women. And it means younger women, you need to listen to the older women. Talk to our elders. They're, they're pretty wise guys. Uh, a couple of the elders pray with me every morning before church. And I said, listen to morons. I said, yeah, I'm talking about you guys. And, uh, but in a good way. They, they are wise guys, and I would seek their counsel. We have some older people that can give some perspective on marriage and parenting and money and life in general. Uh, I was at a table this last week with my mom over at uh, the, the nursing home, or the home where she lives, and there was she, who's almost 91, there's a man there that was 96, and his wife was there 89. <laughs> They'd been married a long time. And this man had served World War II in the Aleutian Islands, and the stories of the bravery and the courage and the sacrifice and the values, you just don't hear that today. And they're a lot wiser than the stuff you're going to read in romance novels or see on chick flicks. Psalm 15.22 says, Plans fail for lack of counsel, but with many advisors they succeed. And that means listening to the right kind of advisors. I read about a 36-year-old man that died, left behind his wife and three kids. And when the wife had to go home to tell the kids that dad had died, one thing she did say was, Your daddy loved Jesus more than anything else in the world. And that's what I want for my legacy. I want my wife and my kids to tell my grandkids, your grandpa loved Jesus and his church more than anything else in the world. I want to be an Asa. I love the Lord and did it God's way. My own dad died when I was 17, and there was no doubt in my mind he loved Jesus. I knew it. There's no doubt. Don't be half-hearted. Do it God's way. That's the wise way. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for this account and this chapter. It really shows us some some ways to live and ways not to live and who to listen to and who not to listen to. And I pray, Lord, that each of us will seek to be an Asa and do it your way and be, be like David, have a heart after you. Thank you so much for your patience with us, Thank you for your word that gives us direction. But most of all, thank you for your son, Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.